Today, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of John is located, uh, what I would encourage you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents. There you're going to find that the Bible is broken up into two main sections, the Old and the New Testament. Now, John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So locate the New Testament, four books in is John, and turn to chapter 8. Now, if you're in an app, just pull down the list of the books of the Bible. Uh, You'll find that John is about two-thirds of the way down that list. So find John and go to chapter 8. How many of you have ever been to Alaska? I personally have never been there. I have a a great, great aunt that lives in Alaska, and my grandparents have been up there, uh, but I personally have not been up there. I've watched shows about uh, what it's like to live in Alaska, and I think we could all agree whether you've been there or whether you just kind of know about what it's like, Alaska is considered an extreme weather place. Just like Phoenix Phoenix gets extremely hot in the summer months, Alaska gets extremely cold in the winter months. As a matter of fact, it gets so cold in Alaska that there are many types of animals that simply can't survive in that state, in that, that cold environment. For example, a frog. A frog would have a very difficult time surviving the winter in Alaska. It doesn't grow hair. It doesn't build body fat to uh, keep itself warm. And so a frog would literally freeze to death uh, if it went through the winter months in Alaska. But there's an interesting fact here. There is actually a type of frog that thrives in Alaska. It's called the Alaskan wood frog. And these frogs are very unique. You see, what this frog does in order to survive the harsh winters of Alaska is as winter's coming, as their bodies sense that those temperatures are beginning to drop, the frog's body begins to uh, push glucose, an organic sugar that we build up in our bodies. It builds up glucose and pumps glucose into every part of its body. It pumps glucose into all its organs, its skin, and into its bloodstream. It literally saturates its entire body with this glucose. And by doing so, it changes the entire chemistry of that frog's body. And so as winter approaches, it pumps its body with glucose. It goes and finds a low spot near a body of water and it covers itself up with leaves or or crawls under leaves into a low spot. And then it just waits. And as it waits, the temperatures drop and the frog's body quite literally freezes. Every part of this frog's body freezes. It drops below the freezing temperature. Its blood stops pumping. Its heart stops pumping. Its lungs don't work. Uh, All of its body functions stop and it freezes. If you were to grab one and try and pull on it, you would kill it. You would break it. And then as the warmer weather starts coming in, the body thaws out and the frog comes back to life. And they do this season after season after season. But I want you to notice something here. The frog, this Alaskan wood frog, changes every cell 
in its body. It changes the very chemistry of its body, the organs, the blood, everything. It changes its chemistry in order to survive the harsh winters of Alaska. Let me flip this for just a second. Follow me. Do you think that you are a perfect follower of Jesus? Do you think you've got it all figured out that when it comes to Jesus and faith and, and all of those things, do you think you've, you've, you've got it figured out? You're, you're as mature of a Christian, you're as perfect of a Christian as you possibly could be? Do you think that's you? Of course not. None of us are perfect. Well, maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, but I'm really close. I'm close enough to being a, a good follower of Jesus that, that really there's not a lot of room left for change or improvement. You know, I, I've just got so much of this faith thing figured out that, that I've really reached the pinnacle of following Jesus. Is that you? Well, let me be honest. I certainly hope it's not you because the Bible actually speaks against that idea. You see, the Bible's very clear that as a follower of Jesus, we're called to change. Just like the Alaskan wood frog changes its entire being, its, in, its entire body chemistry in order to survive the winters, you and I as followers of Jesus are called to change who we are. And Jesus addresses that very thing in today's account from his life in John chapter eight. So take your Bibles or your apps and turn with me to John chapter eight. We're gonna begin in verse 31. So John chapter eight, verse 31. Look at what it says here. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Look at what it says in verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Interesting. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's celebrating one of the festivals, one of the, the religious festivals of that day and time. And he is addressing a group of people. Look with me again in verse 31, because this is important. I don't want us to miss Jesus's audience. Look at what it says in the beginning of verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Did you catch that? This teaching about the truth setting us free is not directed to unbelievers. This passage, this teaching from Jesus is directed to people who believe in Jesus. It's directed to us. And so I think today we should pay very, very close attention to what it is that Jesus is trying to help us learn about him and about following him. 
So let's reread the first verse that we read, verse 31. Read with that with me again. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Abide in his word. That's an interesting phrase. I don't know about you, but I don't go throwing the word abide around a lot. I don't, I don't talk about abiding in things. It's not a term. It's not a word that, that I use very often outside of like Christian or, or church context. So what does abide mean? What is Jesus saying when he says, if we abide in him and in his word? What does that mean, abide? Well, if you go back, this, this portion of the Bible was originally written in the Greek language. And so if we go back and we, we read the original Greek that this was written in, it gives us maybe a better understanding of the meaning of this word before it's been translated into our English. The Greek word here gives an indication or means that we're supposed to live in or live with somebody or something. It's this idea of having something that we are surrounded with or surrounded in and that it affects every aspect of who we are. I mean, think about it. You abide in your house, in your home. And what takes place in your home really affects you in massive ways, whether you realize it or not. The relationships with the people that you live with at home, the, the things you do at home together or by yourself, those things, that abiding is very impactful. And Jesus says here in verse 31 that we're supposed to abide in what? In his word, in his teachings. So we are to literally live in God's word, following what he says. We live in and we live for what he teaches us. Here's the hard part. We're supposed to follow what Jesus says even when we don't like it. Even when we don't agree with it, we're called to abide in that, to, to follow that, to live in and live for that. Even if that teaching goes against something that we've stood for in the past or something that we, we strongly believe, if God's word, if this right here contradicts or goes against something that we've stood for or something that we believe in, then it's not God's word that needs to change. It's that thing that we stood for or that belief that we may have. You see, the problem is, is when we don't like something that the Bible says, we're still supposed to obey it. And we're not supposed to dismiss what God's word says or, or cut it out. What we're supposed to do is go to God and ask him to change us. And please, let's all admit it. None of us like change. Change is hard. Change is not pleasant. But ultimately, this is the inspired, eternal word of God. And, and everything contained in it guides and directs our lives. And so if this says something that we disagree with, it's not that this is wrong, it's that this is wrong. And so Jesus tells us to abide in his word. And then he says, 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If we abide in his word, if we live in it, if we follow it, if we live for it, then we are considered Jesus's true disciples. You see, we have four values here at First Southern, four core values. And the first of those four values is the word believe. You see, the foundation of following Jesus is belief. And that belief is founded in this book. What we believe is found in here. And so this right here, this book, this is the foundation to our believing. We can't believe, we can't understand, we can't get to know what God wants unless we know this book. The problem is, is that most of the time we wanna read this book and we want this book to validate what we want, to, to confirm the stances that we take. And we forget that we're supposed to be approaching this book and asking God not to validate us or justify what we believe, but we're supposed to be asking God through this book to change us. We're, we're supposed to be changed and molded and shaped by God's teachings, by Jesus's teachings. Which leads me actually to our second value, our first core value here at First Southern is believe, but the second one is grow. You see, growing means that we're changing. If we're growing in God, if we're growing in abiding in Jesus's word, then we're gonna be changed by that, God, that, that word. We're gonna be changed by following Jesus more closely. We're always being changed if we're following God. And I wanna show you a word right here that we, we should not miss. The last word of verse 31, it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, disciple is simply another word. It's a synonym for a student or a learner that's learning under a teacher. A learner is constantly in the process of growing and changing to be more like the teacher. You see, you and I, as Jesus's disciples, his students, we are never, ever, ever, ever too learned to grow more in Jesus. We are never uh, too mature in our faith that we couldn't become more like Jesus. We always have room to grow, to change, and to be more like him. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he says that we're to abide in his word. And if we do, we are truly his disciples. Now pick up with me in the next verse, verse 32. It says this. So he's, he has said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, if we know God's word, if we are abiding in his word and we are truly Jesus's disciples, then we are going to know the truth. And as a result of knowing the truth, what's found in here, we will be set free. 
And that actually leads me to today's big idea. If you ever listen to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that kind of summarizes that week's main point. And today's big idea is this, freedom is found in following. Let me repeat that. Freedom is found in following. You know, we as Americans, we have a particular Americanized view of freedom. We have this idea that freedom is the ability to go and do whatever we want. But according to Jesus, freedom is found in knowing, abiding in God's word, being the disciples of Jesus and knowing the truth. And through that truth, it's through the truth of Jesus that we are set free, that we have true freedom. But I want you to notice what the response of these so-called believers of Jesus is. So, so look with me in verse 33. It says, they answered him saying, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. So how is it that you say you will become free? They immediately tell Jesus that they have never been the slaves of anyone or to anyone, which is very interesting because if you go and read the Old Testament, in other words, the first two thirds of the Bible, it is filled with several accounts, some of them very central to the redemptive story of Jesus, but it's filled with accounts of the Israelite people being enslaved. I mean, one of the themes uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, is the slavery of people, the slavery of Israel from other people. You know, go read Exodus. The entire nation of Israel is living in Egypt. Uh, they, they've been rescued from this massive drought that would have wiped out their people. And God rescued them by orchestrating this really cool uh, movement uh, to move the people to Egypt. And a few hundred years after they moved there, they, they started becoming so numerous that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, got threatened. And so what did he do? Well, he suppressed them by enslaving them. And they spent years and years and years in slavery. And then Jesus had, or God had to rescue them from that slavery. They're the most important religious holiday, the Passover that the, Jewish celebrate, the Jews celebrate is centered around the rescue from slavery from Egypt. And yet these people right here are telling Jesus, we've never been enslaved. Not only that, but if you go read the book of Judges, they were over and over and over enslaved to the people that were around them because they had turned away from God and were worshiping idols. Go forward even further. You're going to read how the nation, the empire of Babylon comes in and enslaves the people of Israel. Let's be honest. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were enslaved over and over and over. Yet these people immediately go on the defensive and their defense to Jesus is that we've never been enslaved to anyone. Did they forget their own word, the, the word of God? Did they forget the Old Testament? Apparently so. 
You see, they went immediately on the defensive and they were willing to say almost anything, maybe even believe almost anything in order to defend their fragile egos. They wanted to be a people that was, that was free, that was independent, that was strong. And when Jesus even makes mention, even alludes to the idea that maybe they're enslaved to something, they go on the defensive and they say the most ridiculous thing in the world, a clear cut lie straight out of God's word. You could prove that it was a lie by going to multiple passages in their Bible, in our Bible. They were trying to defend their own egos. They were willing to lie or maybe even if you wanted to spin this in a really positive light for them, they were maybe willing to conveniently forget in order to make themselves sound better or make themselves feel better or make themselves into something that they actually aren't. But they were pretty quick to do that when Jesus points out the truth to them. And here's the hard part. We're going to come back to this. But don't we do that with our own sin? Aren't we quick to defend our own uh, self-seen righteousness? Don't we all have fragile egos that sometimes we need God to convict us of and check us on so that we can follow him better, so that we can repent, so that we can turn away from our sin and instead turn to Jesus in righteousness. So Jesus says that if we abide in him, we will truly be his disciples. We will know the truth. And through that truth, we will be set free. But free from what? Because I will make one point here. The Israelites aren't technically enslaved at the moment that Jesus is making this statement. The Roman government is technically in control of the Israelite government, <clears throat> but they're not enslaved to the Romans. The Romans are in control, but they're not making slaves of the people. So what is Jesus speaking about? What are they needing freedom from? Well, look with me in the next passage. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So what is it that we need to be freed from? Well, we need to be freed from the slavery of sin. But what is sin? Well, sin, according to God's word, is the ways in which we disobey God's plans, his purposes, his commands for our lives. So when we disobey God, that is sin. Uh, it also tells us that sin is when we know the right thing that we should do and we don't do it. So, so sin is disobedience to God or knowing the right that we should do and not doing it. And that sin, the ways that we disobey, makes us slaves to our sin. That sin has literally, spiritually, 
enslaved us. We are in slavery to our sin. You see, the fact is, is that we all sin. Every person who has ever been born except for Jesus is a sinner. We have all broken God's law. We have all seen the good that we should do and not done it. We're all guilty of this. And the only way to break free from the slavery that our sin has put us in and from, to save us from the eternal punishment that comes with that slavery is to believe in Jesus and commit your life to him. The Bible calls it being saved or being rescued from our sins. You see, when we are slaves, we need someone to come along and free us from that slavery, to rescue us from that slavery. And Jesus is the only way to be saved, to be rescued from the slavery and the punishment of sin. That's it. There is no other way to be saved from the slavery of sin and to be saved from the punishment. You see, the punishment of sin is when we die, we receive eternal punishment for our sin. But if we believe in Jesus, if we believe in him, we commit our lives to him and we go and tell others about him, when we do those things, we are freed from that slavery of sin, from the punishment of sin, and instead we receive eternal life in Jesus. And maybe you're watching right now, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe right now, maybe you're beginning to realize that you are in slavery, that you are a slave to your sin. And maybe right now you're starting to go, you know, that freedom that Jesus is talking about in today's passage sounds really good. But maybe you've got questions. Maybe you want to know what the next steps are and what, those, what that kind of a commitment means for your life. Well, if you've got questions, if you want to know more, if you're ready to make a decision, uh, what I want you to do is I want you to take your device and I want you to text the word changing to 94000. We will have someone reach out to you and we would love to talk with you about this, answer any questions you might have. And if you're ready to make a decision for Jesus, we want to help you in that process. So don't hesitate. Text the word changing to 94000. So sin has made us a slave, a slave to sin itself. But these people in this passage who thought they were followers of Jesus, they were so wrapped up in their own appearance of self-righteousness, in their own belief that they were good enough, that they were righteous, that they couldn't accept Jesus' teaching about sin, about the slavery that sin brings. They were, they were so consumed by their own goodness or seemingly goodness that they couldn't understand what Jesus was teaching here. They couldn't imagine themselves not being good enough for Jesus' teachings. They couldn't imagine themselves not being good enough to receive eternal life. They missed the fact that they were slaves to their sin. 
and that their goodness could not get them eternal life. You see, there is not enough good deeds. You can't be a good enough person. You can't donate enough money to nonprofits or to the poor. You can't be good enough or do enough good deeds to get your way into eternal life. It's simply not possible. The only way to receive that eternal life is through following Jesus, believing in him, committing your life to him and telling others about him. That's what it takes. They missed that. They missed uh, that God's word is supposed to be changing them. You know, I, I heard this illustration the other day. The, the idea that God's word is supposed to be changing us is like you getting serious about getting healthy and losing weight. And so you go and you, you buy a book on, on eating right and exercise and getting healthy. And you tell your friends, this book is going to change my life. And a few months later, your friends see you and you look exactly the same. And you have the same unhealthy habits. And you have done no changing to your life in order to become healthy. And when they start talking to you and they ask you about that book on health and exercise and eating right, you tell them, man, it was the best book I ever read. I've never underlined and highlighted and, and tabbed pages of things that I learned from that book. But you know as well as I do that if that was the situation, you missed the point, didn't you? Because if you truly were impacted by a book like that, then your life would reflect. Your life would be changed in some way. You may have read that book and you may have gotten a lot of info, but you were not changed by what you read in that book. You see, God, through his word, wants to change you. And that changing involves being set free. Freedom is found in following, in following Jesus and what he teaches. That is freedom. Just like that frog in Alaska, you have to allow every ounce of your being to be changed by God through his word, through his Holy Spirit. You have to allow everything within you to be changed by God and his word so that you can be set free from the slavery of sin. So you may be asking yourself, okay, I get that. I understand that I need to be changed and I understand that freedom is found in following Jesus, but how? How do I allow this book God's word, just as Jesus said in verse 31, how do I allow God's word to make me a true disciple, to know the truth and to be set free, to be truly changed? Well, I think the first way is to actually read it. And according to studies, according to research, we live today in one of the most illiterate, biblically illiterate societies of recent history. In other words, we live in a society, in a culture today that knows less about what God's word actually says than almost any generation before us. And you may be saying, yeah, but I grew up in church. I know what the Bible says. Uh, hold on. According to the research, that includes lifelong church goers. 
people who follow Christ. Biblical illiteracy is a big problem in our society and in our church today. And so here's my challenge to you. Start picking up your Bible and actually reading it every day. Just take, start with five minutes or 15 minutes, just a a small amount of time that you can guarantee that you will do every day and just take five, 10, 15 minutes and pick up this book and read it. Maybe you start in the book of Matthew or maybe you start in John and just start reading. Maybe some of you who are watching right now, maybe you do that already. Maybe you faithfully read the Bible every day or, or very regularly. Great, that's awesome. But are you allowing that reading, that, that reading of God's word, are you allowing it to change you? Are you allowing it to infiltrate every ounce of your being? to change you to be more like Jesus. Well, here's what I would secondly recommend you do. The first thing that we need to do in order uh, to actively allow God's word to change us is to read God's word. The second thing is we can ask three questions that can help us better allow the Holy Spirit through God's word to change us inside and out. So here are those questions. The first one is, what attitude or belief could God be challenging me on? Second question is, what behavior is God challenging me to change? And third, what change is God calling me to take in my treatment of others? If you simply sat down and asked God to show you those three things before you ever pick this book up, before you ever read it or listen, and listen to it on an app, if you simply ask God to help you with those three questions, it could revolutionize your following of Jesus. It could. And so that's actually what we're gonna do right now. You may have noticed if you've watched many of our sermons online, our, our services online, you probably noticed that uh, we usually have an intentional time of prayer before I ever begin the message. Well, today, instead of beginning, we're gonna end with an intentional time of prayer. And we're gonna pray through these things that I pointed out to you. So will you join me? We're gonna take some time. I'm gonna ask God to do something and then I'm gonna go silent. And I want you to just take a couple of seconds and ask God to do that in your own life, in your own heart. So join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for your word. And Lord, in light of what uh, John chapter eight, verses 31 through 36 teaches, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be disciples, to be students of the truth, that we would literally abide in your word, that, that your word would infiltrate all of our being and change us so that we can be more like you. So Lord, first we ask that you would help us, help us to put some system in place, a reminder uh, or or some habit where we are reading your word regularly. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to read the Bible. Secondly, Lord, we ask that when we go into your word and when we read your word, we pray that you would help us with these three questions. 
Lord, help us to ask ourselves and ask you, what attitude or belief could you be challenging me on? Lord, I pray that for everyone here right now. So everyone watching and listening, take a moment and ask God to challenge you on any attitude or belief that God wants you to be changing. Lord, we recognize that out of our attitudes, our thoughts, our beliefs come our behavior. And so Lord, we now ask if there's any behavior that you may be challenging us to change. And so if you're watching or listening right now, I want you to just take a few seconds and I want you to ask God if there is a behavior that he is challenging you to change today. And lastly, Lord, we recognize that your word calls us to love you and love others. And so Lord, is there a change that you're calling us to, to take, some, some calling that you're asking us to make in the way we treat others? So if you're watching or listening right now, I want you to take a moment and ask God if there's anything that he is calling you to change in the way that you treat others. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you gave Jesus, that you love us so much that you gave us your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to put our pride aside, put our self-righteousness aside, put our own opinions or biases uh, or, or, or stances aside and that we would uh, humble ourselves enough to be changed by you. Help us to do that today, tomorrow, the next day, next, this week, the next week after that, next month. Help us to continually make ourselves available to be changed by your word through your Holy Spirit. Help us to realize that we're constantly called to be changed by you and help us to recognize that freedom is found in following you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.